So I can remember as a kid, uh, each Thanksgiving, waking up and watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It was especially exciting when I was younger because it was watching a parade in a big, exciting city. I was from this small town in South Georgia where nothing ever happened. Uh, and it was a place that was completely unlike anything in my life. But it was also watching for a moment. Now, you might be able to guess what this particular moment was, but it was the final moment of the parade when Santa came across the screen. Now, it was a moment that marked a turning point. Uh, in the immediate, it was the fact that then very soon we would be having our Thanksgiving meal because we ate our Thanksgiving meal about midday. And so there was that coming, and I was excited for that. But it was also marking a changing in the year to the holiday season. And that was my favorite time of, year, of the year as a kid. For all of the reasons you can probably guess, not the least of which is I got presents. And, you know, who doesn't love getting presents? And I guess I got to give them too, but, you know, I was a little kid. So even if I didn't fully understand the meaning of the season back then, I knew that moment was marking something special that was happening. And that turning moment meant something. Today, we mark one of those turning moments in the Christian year. It's the beginning of the end of our journey through Lent. We're rapidly closing in on Good Friday and the crucifixion. The day when we remember with a level of solemnity and reverence, if not outright darkness and sadness. But today, we are entering into this place, into this week, with a mood of celebration. Today, we joyfully parade into Jerusalem with palms waving and with singing and dancing as the people celebrate Jesus. Shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's exciting, if not a little misunderstood. In the midst of the joyous entry and the exuberance of the people, we might even be distracted and miss that this week will be one of the most consequential of the life of Jesus. Now, one could misunderstand this misunderstanding. Jesus is reenacting what amounts to a Roman military parade. The kind used to celebrate victories in battle, or to welcome great leaders, or often to welcome great leaders who are back from winning great battles. In fact, this would have been in direct uh, contrast to the real Roman parade that would have happened just prior as Pilate entered Jerusalem for this holy occasion. And Jesus was marking a turning point in his ministry. It would have seemed like now was the time. Many would have assumed that this was Jesus challenging Caesar himself. For the people in Jerusalem heralding the return of Jesus in the streets, it would have been like Jesus was the newly crowned king, the one who would lead the people out of the wilderness of their nation's exile as a part of Rome, the one who would lead the people out uh, into the promised land of the new covenant that God had promised them the last time they were left in exile. 
and the, as they left exile dreaming of who they would be again. These were dreams that the people would have still been dreaming as Jesus paraded into Jerusalem that day. It's easy to see why they might assume these things. It's easy to see why the Romans might assume that Jesus was challenging their authority. Why the Jewish elite might assume Jesus was just a troublemaker who had come to disrupt the careful order that had been established. It's easy to see why the people might see their royal liberator. That was the kind of image that Jesus was projecting that day. Kind of. See, if you're looking closely at what's going on as this parade happens, you also see a little bit of a mixed message. Yes, Jesus is triumphantly entering into Jerusalem, but he's also trying to send another message. On the one hand, he comes to the gates that it is uh, prophesied that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem through. But on the other hand, he insists on riding in on a young donkey, far from the noble horse, and an animal more of ordinary, mostly useful work. This kind of would have been like if today Jesus had asked for a Honda hatchback instead of, you know, a BMW or a Mercedes. You know, a Honda hatchback, it gets the job done, but it's nothing fancy. The donkey would have seen, been seen as a humble animal. And Jesus is sending a message, if not so subtle, that he is coming into the city not as a Messiah king, but in humility. Jesus riding into Jerusalem with his feet dragging on the ground like any other common person. Followed by this group of followers, mostly unknown to the people, you know, his disciples and friends, these people that have been following him around as he journeyed through his time in ministry. And rather than something orderly that we might think of like the Macy's Parade, stepping in this. Sorry for anyone listening, and hopefully this is not broken. Here we go. Back on there. Uh, where was I? So rather than something like a uh, Macy's Day Parade, which, you know, is very orderly and uh, well-timed and uh, organized, it would be more like something on, say, Bourbon Street. If you can imagine, if you've ever been to Bourbon Street, or maybe you've just seen the New Orleans commercials recently of uh, a band, uh, a ragtag cast of characters, of disruptors who, not quite orderly, but with a bit of chaos, parade down the streets. It's something that would require you to turn your head and look because it means something, even if what you assume it means is wrong. And now the people were also looking for a sign. The Jewish people would have seen just that in Jesus. But it wasn't quite the sign of things that they were expecting. But then again, maybe that's exactly what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to play with their expectations and assumptions 
and also say, but this is who I am. And who you're expecting might not be who you get. Then again, that's also what Jesus did all throughout his ministry. I've got a quote for you that I, I picked up from a commentary uh, that says, Sentimentalists are the romantic fools who imagine that it is possible to build security and peace on a foundation of hate and revenge or of greed and competing sovereignties. Sentimentalists are romantic fools who imagine that it is possible to build peace and security on a foundation of hate and revenge or of greed and competing sovereignties. Jerusalem was a part of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was built largely on hate and revenge and greed and corruption and competition. Security and peace were maintained at all times because if anyone threatened that security and peace, they would be killed for it. Executed publicly by gruesome crucifixion for all to see. And this sees the people's day-to-day attention and something they bought into because, well, clearly it worked. And as a result, the people became sentimentalists themselves. They became the romantic fools who imagine that it is possible to build security and peace on a foundation of hate and revenge or greed and competition. Injustice had become what was normal. And it's in this context in which Jesus processes into Jerusalem. countering the assumptions of probably just about everyone. Because he came with a different message, one that countered the message of the day and of Rome and of power and all of those in authority. Jesus came to bring a new way, to weave a new narrative, to declare a new Jerusalem. Jesus is coming to build a kingdom, not an earthly one or one built on the back of dead Roman soldiers or vanquished enemies. It's not one built on hatred or revenge and the acquisition of power. No, this new kingdom is built only on the back of Jesus, who willingly suffered death on the cross to see this kingdom come. A kingdom built on mercy and grace, on hope and freedom, on justice, everlasting love and the forgiveness of sins, and on the idea of radical welcome for all. The idea that each one of us is created in the image of the Creator. These are the values and ideals on which Jesus' kingdom was built on. And Jesus was calling us, as he paraded into Jerusalem, to join along, to come with him on this journey and to begin to live in this new kingdom. To not be constrained by the powers of the day, but to see in Jesus and in ourselves the power to create a whole new world. The people assumed a great many things about Jesus. They recognized in him a power and authority and saw his entrance into Jerusalem as a claiming of that power. 
But that wasn't Jesus. Jesus never came in to claim any power. Jesus didn't need to. After all, God had always had the power and authority. Power and authority that surpasses all others. Above and beyond. Instead, he came to us. Enters into this city that in less than a week will see him crucified. Jesus came to us, sharing his authority and power, seeing our lacking, our hunger and thirst for the things of God, and our deepest desires and yearnings for dignity, equity, and equality, and our desires for new hope. And Jesus came as this simple man, riding on a donkey, to do what none of us could do for ourselves. To look death and destruction, sin and corruption in the face and dare to be our Redeemer. Dare to love us when we throw the worst of the world at Him. Dare to stand against the powers that be, not with hatred and revenge, but with peace and love that will never end. And so Jesus came into the city that day, beginning that same journey that we will walk this week with him. And Jesus came to bring about the kingdom, to bring about the change, and to invite us along so that next week, we might see, as when we are past the darkness of Good Friday, that we too might assume power. Not in the conventional ways, but in the ways of Jesus in the ways of peace and mercy and grace for all. Amen.